Hello, 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 and welcome to Tease Me. This is a podcast about the intersection of golf, business, and life. And occasionally we'll drop some gems on networking and just how that makes your life better. Because knowing more than one person is actually a good thing. Hello, everyone. It is Friday. It is March. And I'm recording from Countertop Studios. So please ignore the background noise, which is the New York City soundtrack. Uh, I think it's construction, and I now expect a lot of potholes on the street. But separately, it's also Women's History Month, and I'm excited for our new guest. Today we have Jackie Arnick of Two Iron Marketing. Raised in Sutherland, Oregon, Jackie began playing golf in high school with the men's golf team. Within two years, she recruited friends and formed the first ladies golf team for her high school. Over a few years, her dream team would win the championship. She then joined the ladies golf team at the University of Montana and played for all four of her years in college. With a passion for golf, Jackie started her career in retail jobs at several golf courses during her college and right after. Jackie stepped out of the golf industry for some time and missed it. She slowly started to get more involved again by giving lessons off and on the course, helping out in junior golf camps, volunteering with the first tee, and volunteering at tournaments. During that time, Jackie was often trying to educate women on everything that they missed out by not going to the company or customer outings. She would emphasize that not feeling welcome was not a reason to miss out. Eureka, it was at that moment Jackie saw the problem that she planned to solve. She recognized the golf industry's inability to reach and convert interested potential golfers because they're focused on the wrong thing in communication, programs, and community outreach. In 2016, Two Iron Marketing was formed. We are having to become very innovative in how we connect and encourage millennials and younger generations to play the game. Their values are different than that of previous generations. In order to grow the game, it's about more than the game. It's about true inclusion, benefits outside of the golf course, community, fitness, presence on social media, collaboration, networking opportunities, programs for growing families. All of these things play a factor in someone's decision to take the interest they gained in golf from venues like Topgolf and decide to visit a real-life golf course, purchase a new set of clubs, buy those FootJoy or Echo golf shoes. All of these things are connected, but unfortunately, the golf industry is not driving this narrative, says Jackie. Two Iron Marketing is a dedicated marketing and consulting agency focused on the golf industry and the gaps businesses have in reaching their target audience. The company is dedicated to the growth of the game through strategic player development by properly positioning golf industry businesses to reach, communicate, and collaborate with their target audiences. I hope that you love this interview and that you didn't mind all of the drilling that only occurred when I pressed the record button. Now let's chat with Jackie. Hello, everyone. We have Jackie here, and Jackie's with Two Iron Marketing. So let's talk about your your career. How did you get started with Two Iron Marketing? I played collegiate golf, um, but when when I left college, um, I had a um, minor in business, but my degree was in bioarchaeology, which is what do you do with that degree, right? So I left college not really knowing what I wanted to do because my goal had always been go to college on a golf scholarship so you can get your school paid for and then get a job. Well, I left college and it was right at like the start of the recession. So there wasn't a lot of jobs. I was trying to figure out what the heck to do. And I had this degree that was very unique, but very hard to find jobs in at that time. I got a job with a, um, with the police department in Colorado. So I actually started out there, figured out that that wasn't really for me. Um, I was still kind of active in the golf industry. So I was, you know, doing lessons here and there, doing stuff with like junior golf camps and those things. Um, and it wasn't until I started with a company that manufactures uh, golf grips that I kind of got back into the industry on a more strategic level. So I supported some of their marketing efforts, was with them for about six years, and then realized that there's really a huge gap with what the golf industry is doing um, to attract and develop golfers and and really trying to get the interest of women and um, diversify just the game as a whole. And there's there was a lot of problems because we have the golf industry and golf courses and golf businesses doing a lot of the same things and not getting the results that they want. So that's where trend marketing kind of came to mind. And I thought, what if I built a marketing agency designed for golf businesses 
to actually attract and grow the game and then help them to create more revenue in the process. And so unfortunately it was not something that started like overnight and it was overnight success. It's been, you know, kind of a long road here with my partner and I, and we've worked really hard. We've both worked, you know, full-time jobs and started doing this and then eventually got to where this is where we could focus all of our, our time. So that's, kind of where we're at. And then you and I met at the PGA show, which was, that was our first time there. And I believe your first time there as well. And so just kind of gaining a lot of momentum now. So something we're really excited about. No, that is awesome. And yes, we met at the PGA show and we had like kindred energy and spirit. And I'm just like, yes. uh, Hey, how are we doing? What are we talking about here? Because this room is it's kind of dry. I don't really know what's happening here, but I had a good time and I met a lot of nice people there with the marketing. Like tell people what golf marketing is. Cause I don't know if everyone understands one, like the importance of it, but what that really looks like. Yeah. Yeah. So we're focused in the digital marketing space. And what we really do is help to create, um, you know, say it's a golf course, like say that's our, our customer and we're really developing the, the digital campaign for them. So we're looking at, you know, the types of programs that they have in place now. Do those need to be improved? Are they wanting to book more weddings or more company events? Are they looking to um, increase, you know, if it's a private club, are they looking to increase the member spend? How much time they're spending there? Are they um, uh, getting into mom groups? Because you have a lot of communities where you still have moms that are staying at home with their children, but they could be bringing their children to the golf course, but they're not because golf courses or the golf industry isn't targeting that market. And that's really where player development and those things can really grow and and help to grow the game overall. And so that's, that's our focus. We're kind of the strategic partner. And then we build the content around that. And then player retention is, is another, uh, a big proponent of what we're doing, um, especially for private clubs, um, the retention of, of members is, is really challenging right now. So making sure that you have a loyalty program in place that, that retains your current members and, and grows your member base. So this is like a common issue in the industry, just the, the importance of attracting and retaining women, but also just retaining millennials and youth. And like, how has that message resonated as you've tried to communicate and share it? Like, even looking at the PGA show, they probably need to hire mm-hmm. you to help with the marketing of that as well. But what are your thoughts and strategies like when you're looking at that? What are you thinking? Yeah. So I think a big problem is you, you still have a lot of decision makers that are in that age group that don't really fully understand the benefit of the digital marketing piece and, and how that can really um, kind of drive growth, whatever that might be, whether it's, you know, increased participation, um, increased uh, revenue for the, the organization, you know, whatever the goals are, making sure that they're really strategic and what they're trying to do. Cause the problem I see is you have a lot of, of my customers that start out, they're like, Jackie, we're doing the digital marketing, we're in social media, but nothing's happening. Well, they don't actually have any real goals. They don't have any key performance indicators or strategies for what they're doing. They just, they know they need to be there. So they're there, but they have no strategies or actions behind it. So then nothing happens with it, or they don't really get the return that they were looking for. So they put their hands up and say, hey, this doesn't work. So my biggest advice is making sure that they're very strategic on who they want to target within within an audience and making it actionable and start there and then grow from there. You know, whether it's one or two things, focus on that and then grow from there. Don't try to take it all in at one time because nobody can do that. Yeah. I mean, you're speaking my language, the management consulting speak strategies and KPIs. And for everyone that doesn't know that is key performance indicators. I think she might've mentioned it, but these are ways like don't just post to post. And, And you're right. There's like a disconnect in understanding like why you're posting versus what you're posting and when you're posting what you're posting for. So when you're explaining this, do you see it resonating or do you just like have to take over and do it for them and just explain it later? I would say right now it's sort of a mixed bag. I'd say I have 20% of people that really get it. And I got to be honest, those are people that are 50 and under. 
Um, they, they really get it. They understand that this is an important piece for their growth, but they might not know how to do it. So at least they understand. And when I put a proposal, you know, out to them, they, they at least get it. And then they can see kind of the strategies and, and the plan of where we're going. Now, the other, I got to say 80%, they maybe know that it's important, but they don't know enough about it. So they don't feel comfortable. So they don't participate or they don't take action out of fear. And they all, you know, everybody knows that millennials, you know, are two thirds of the workforce now. And so they're, they're the ones that have the money to spend on memberships on, on going out to the golf courses. They're the ones that are going to top golf, but they're not going, they're going to top golf, but then they're not going to the golf course. And so a lot of what we're trying to do with our technology partners, our golf gamification partners, and what we're doing on two-in marketing is bridging that gap. And so there's, a lot of resources out there besides just two and marketing that can help um, golf courses to do this. And then other golf golf businesses to, to attract and make sure that, you know, you have golfers that are coming in and, and buying new shoes. You have golfers coming in and, and buying tees, buying golf balls, you know, and spending money in the golf industry. You've mentioned your company name Two iron marketing. Tell us where that name came from and what does it represent or what does it mean? A lot of people don't have a two iron anymore, and, and it's not really popular. You have hybrids and, and other types of golf clubs that have taken the place of the two iron. But I started, when I started golfing, a two iron was the club that you knew that you were a player if you could hit a two iron. So, and it's, it's the most pure shot you can hit in you know, the game of golf, in my opinion. And there's a lot of people, I think, that, that also share that opinion. And so... When I started to marketing, I wanted it to resonate with the golfers and people in the industry that knew where golf came from, but also looking at where golf is going, which is changing. So unfortunately, a lot of people that are just starting out in golf, they probably don't know what a two iron is, but my customers that I'm trying to reach do know what a two iron is. And when they see two iron marketing, they're like, Hey, what is this company? You know, and I get that question all the time. Where did your marketing come from? And I tell them the story. They're like, Oh yeah, that makes total sense. <laughs> I love so it. it. So it's kind of like eye-catching, I guess, or, or just something that would catch the attention of, of my target market, which is, you know, golf businesses. For the people listening, this is not a recommendation for you to go buy a two iron so you look legitimate. <laughs> right, <laughs> like, right. And I don't even not- know if you can find them anymore, to be honest. Like, I, I, my husband and I went out and we're trying to find one at Oh, Golf Galaxy or something like that, like a year or so ago. And we couldn't find one. We legitimately could not find a two iron in the store. <laughs> okay. And so that is not, also not a challenge for anyone to say, like, you found a two iron and tag us on Instagram. Like, please don't do that either. <laughs> it's just, it's just a conversation. Could be interesting. Could be interesting but <laughs> like, a, I mean, you, hey, you're the marketing person. If you want to give a two iron challenge and they win, like, I don't know. <laughs> You are the first person that I've ever air quote met from Oregon. Like I've never met any, is golf big there? <laughs> I don't, I don't even it's know. It's really not. I mean, it's, I think there's a lot of perception about Oregon that it's like rainy and cloudy and yucky all the time. And it is nine months out of the year, but three months, that's great. But it's rainy and cloudy, but you can still golf. You just got to learn to play in not super fun weather. <laughs> Right. Wait. So tell me what town in Oregon, like, I can't even, I realize that I'm like geographically challenged right now. <laughs> yeah. So it's a, it's a small town called Sutherland, Oregon. Um, it's actually kind of funny because you have a hard time pulling it up on Google maps. Sometimes it shows up, sometimes it doesn't. It's maybe 5,000 people. Um, it's about an hour South of Eugene or about three and a half hours South of Portland. Okay, so I do know Portland. That's the only thing I know. And I think like there was a game. We have a game called the Oregon Trail, and that's all yes. I remember. <laughs> yes, about- on those like on the Mac computers, and you had to try to make it all the way there without dying. Yes. Oh yeah, yes. had- <laughs> and we being from Oregon, we're like we're famous. We're in a game. <laughs> I, yeah. So one day we'll do the backstory of like how that came to be. Jackie, tell us how did you get into golf. Yeah, uh, thank you. So I I started golf when I was actually a freshman in high school. Um, so I had never really been exposed to the game before. And I randomly went out to the golf course with my parents. And my dad uh, was trying to show me how to hit a chip shot, which we all know, you know, the short game is kind of one of the most difficult things in golf. And he was sort of showing me and I'm like, Dad, I got it. Here I am. I'm like 14 years old. I'm like, I got it. Just let me hit the ball, right? 
So I hit the ball and I chip it in the hole. I'm like, what are you talking about? This is so easy. <laughs> Lo and behold, I try to do it again. And obviously I don't chip it in and it's like over the green and like in the Creek or something. So, but it just, for me, it was like immediate love for the game and I wanted more of it, but I was a little bit older. I, like I said, I was a freshman in high school and I, I was like, Hey, where or how can I play this game? And what I figured out is at my high school, we did not have a girls golf team. So I went to the boys coach and I said, Hey, can I play on the team? He's like, well, I'm not sure if we have to get like permission slips signed or get approval, but sure, you know, you can try out and see what happens. So that whole next year before the season started, which in Oregon, which is where I grew up, the season, there's only one season, which is in the spring. Um, So leading up from, you know, end of or beginning of the summer into, you know, fall and winter, I, my dad, you know, took me out there. I had a junior set of clubs that was, you know, a nine iron and a seven iron, a putter and like a driver or something, which was not the best set of clubs to play with, but it was a start. And he said, if you stick with it for three months, I'll buy you a new set of clubs. So I did, I stuck with it. I played in a couple of junior tournaments and didn't do very good, but I just, I wanted more and I wanted to get better. And that's sort of where it all started. And I had to play golf on the boys team, my freshman and sophomore year. By my junior year, I was able to get enough girls interested in the sport at our school to where we were able to put together a girls golf team. And we actually won state our junior and senior year, or I should say my junior and senior year as a 3A girls golf team. So that's sort of where it all started. Um, and then I was fortunate enough to get a golf scholarship to the University of Montana. It sounds like you've been a community builder for a while. How did you gather like other girls and get them interested enough to like play on a team? Because that's no easy feat. And going from zero to a hundred, like with playing on teams is actually a, that's a lot of work. Yeah. So, so it's a lot of work. So I did it in high school. Obviously I was able to put together a girls team and it, it took two years to do that. Cause you have to have five players. I wanted six in case somebody was sick or wasn't able to play or had something else going on. So you obviously want to have six to seven players on a team. We had, we, we had six and it took me two years to get there. Um, I've done kind of the same thing in my professional career. I've, I've really been an advocate for women playing the game because they have interest, right? But they never actually take it out to the golf course. They don't necessarily understand the value that they're giving up when, you know, the boys from the office say, Hey, we're going to go take some customers out to go play nine holes. And they don't join. They don't understand what they're missing out on and what they could gain by actually participating. And they don't have to go out there and shoot 75, you know, or, or shoot if they're playing nine holes, you know, they don't have to go out there and shoot a 40. They can go out there and, and make the game, fair for them, participate still, not slow anybody down and, and get the benefit of building relationships and networking and, and getting that business deal or, or submitting that proposal or connecting with somebody that can, you know, give them a job in, you know, three months or something. There's so much opportunity that women in particular miss out on by not going to these events or not going to the corporate golf tournament. And I've been a big advocate for a long time on trying to break that barrier and it's not been easy. And obviously we're not there yet. I mean, what are some of the challenges that you see with breaking down the barrier? Because I've said it as well. I mean, I started my entire company focusing on how do we bring more non-traditional people into the game and how do we teach them to mm-hmm. use golf as a tool for their career advancement, for their development, and also to get them access to rooms and conversations they may not normally have had access to. So what do you think right. like some so, of the bigger barriers are? Yeah. Um, so a big, a big thing for me is what I have dubbed the intimidation factor. Um, and it really impacts women and millennials in a lot of cases, uh, that intimidation factor of going out to a golf course and it's an environment they've never been in before. Um, when they're there, they're not really represented in the staff very well. You see pictures of all of these famous male golfers that you have no idea who they are. There's no women on the walls. Um, you go out on the golf course and there's not really, you know, a restroom out there, which I know that a lot of people are going to cringe when I say that, but that's a big deal for, for women, you know, playing AC holes and having to like try to figure out a way to run back to the clubhouse so they can, you know, go in there and use the facilities. It's not a fun situation and you don't want to be that, that person. So it's a very uncomfortable situation to start out in. Um, 
And so some ways around that is obviously kind of creating a comfortability uh, with the staff at the golf course. It's um, having golf turn into kind of um, more of a gamification thing where for a lot of women, they don't want to go out there and keep score. They just want to go out there and participate. They, you know, depending on the level that they're at, they probably don't need to be hitting from the women's tee box. They could probably, you know, drop their ball 65 yards from the green and, and play there, depending on the level that they, they're at and then continue to move back. There's um, a company, I think, called Ops 36 that, that really pushes this and they have a program kind of in place to help develop golfers to do that and make that more acceptable. Um, there's a company I work with called NextLinks that invented uh, golf gamification called the Smart Green. And what that does is it, it essentially takes, um, you know, the putting aspect and turn it into like a game, um, you know, at the facility, there's a, a big resort, I think in uh, Indian Wells, California that has this set up and it's such, it takes down that intimidation factor. You have women that feel comfortable. They're, they're putting is the game. They're able to, you know, order some food and some drinks and have a good time. And then they think, Hey, you know, I actually want to go to the driving range or, Hey, I want to practice this. Like I had a good time. I want to do it some more. Hey, I can actually network and, and bring a group of people here and network and, and have a good time and feel comfortable. And it's building revenue for the golf course there. Um, and it's keeping it there. It's not going to top off or to long drive or, or somewhere else. It's actually at the level of the golf course, which I think is really important because then it's the easier transition from that to, you know, what I call the big course, you know, air quotes. <laughs> You are a golfer, period. Like yep. you played in college, yep. played in high school. How have you navigated building relationships on the course when you show up and kick everyone's butt? Like, how does that work? <laughs> so I had somebody tell me one time, uh, hey, if you if you want to build relationships, you you probably need to lose and, and you know, not play very well because it's going to make people uncomfortable. And I pushed against that. I actually did the complete opposite. And I said, you know what? I'm not going to lose on purpose. Uh, I'm going to go out there and I'm going to show what I can do. And they're going to ask questions. And if I can help them, that's going to build a rapport that you can't create anywhere else. So what I do is, you know, a lot of times um, I still end up playing from either the men's tees or, you know, the white or yellow tees. I still play about 6,300 yards if I'm playing 18 holes. And so I'm, I'm usually hitting around where they're hitting and they see me, you know, play a couple holes. They're like, okay, how do you do this? I know you probably don't have time to practice a lot, which I don't, unfortunately, you know, how are you doing this? What's a couple of tips I can do to work on this? So I help them out with some things. And then we segue into other conversations, whether it be, you know, something that they're, you know, say it's, um, an apparel company and they're saying like, Hey, we're really trying to, you know, grow with, uh, with younger golfers and, and, you know, kind of develop a line of youth apparel. Like what some ideas that you have run out. So we segue into other conversations and outside of that environment, that's really hard to do. It's actually a very easy environment to do that in, but not everybody is going to be in that position. So you're going to have somebody else out there that's, you know, they can't necessarily tee off from, you know, the ladies tees even. They need to move up. But what they can do is if they're playing with somebody better, ask questions, you know, facilitate a conversation around that and then segue into other things. I, people by nature like to be helpful. And if you can kind of create that into your networking and conversation, it goes a long way. Yes. Yeah. So talk about like how you do, how do you do business on the golf course? Because some people, they just jump right into it. I feel like that's bad and poor form, but for you, how have you navigated a five hour round and done business or mm -hmm. do you have any business stories that you want to tell? Yeah. Yeah. So, um, I actually, as part of the PGA show, we actually also sponsored the national golf course owners association, um, golf business conference, which was alongside the, the PGA show. Um, and so in doing that, they had a golf outing, I think the Sunday before, if I'm remembering correctly. So I got to go out there and I got to go play some golf with some multi golf course owners and, of course, something I actually found is a lot of golf owners or people within the golf industry on the management side aren't actually very good golfers. So, of course, what do they do? They they start asking me some questions. They ask me about my background, you know, obviously start asking about my company, 
they throw questions at me like, Hey, you know, yeah, we have the golf course, but we're also trying to grow, um, our, the wedding bookings at like our facility, like what's some suggestions you have around there. So I give them real actionable suggestions that, you know, could, they can implement right away. And then the point is, is to kind of foster that relationship over time. Of course you exchange cards or information. I follow up with them, connect with them on LinkedIn. LinkedIn has been very powerful for, for me and my business to go from the golf course to the real world or, or, you know, taking it, the business from the golf course, you know, into something tangible. Um, and so that's kind of how I navigate that. So I have, you know, I've had stuff that's already been set up as a networking thing. I've had customers reach out to me and say, Hey, you know, I'm here on the Houston market. Do you mind going and playing nine holes with me and, and talking to me about some things we could do with my business? And so that's what I'll go out and do, but that's not, I don't want to say that's regular. That's not something that happens on a weekly or sometimes even monthly basis. It's, it's sort of here and there. Um, and it can happen, you know, in the summertime, it seems to happen more often than in the winter, obviously. <laughs> so have you had any like bad outings where you were like, I just don't want to do business with this person and you don't have to name names, but was there anything <laughs> that was an experience that turned you off? Yes. So especially, I always like to give the recommendation, you know, if you can start out with nine holes, do that because it's a little bit less of a commitment. You know, it's about two, two and a half hours. And if it's a bad kind of uh, business interaction, you're not in it for very long because in business, we all have to deal with those types of things. Um, unfortunately, I wish I could say it's all puppy dogs and ice cream and things are great all the time, but in reality, it's not, you know, I've been kind of hooked up with some people, you know, that are more in like the technology field within the golf industry. And we did not see eye to eye on some things. Um, cause in my opinion, they were taking business away from, from golf courses and, and other, um, parts of the industry, which I feel are, are viable and important. So we did not connect very well. So after nine holes, we sort of went our separate ways. We still are obviously kosher and friendly, but it was not, you know, within the first couple of holes, I realized, I think we both realized this was not going to be a good business relationship. And you just, you know, you've moved conversation to other things. It doesn't have to be this huge explosive thing, you know, negative experience. You've got to learn from it. And then, but that really taught me and I take lessons from it of like, Hey, okay. You know, I really want to do my due diligence and talk with the people a little bit more ahead of time before I kind of book these meetings. And those are things I sort of learned along the way. Um, so kind of take and learn from the experience. Don't let it just be a negative thing that kind of holds you back or weighs you down. It's like um, for the people that do online dating, don't go to a full dinner, just have coffee. Right, right. Or go get some drinks or go get some appetizers. And if it's right. really bad, you can ditch out. So NGCOA, National Golf Course Owners Association, for the people that aren't aware, just share what that is and what that looks like and why do they even have that? Yeah, yeah. So um, they're an association and I wish I could say how long they've been around. I'm not totally sure, but um, they've been around for, for quite a long time in there. Um, they're an association that supports golf course owners, obviously. So that's going to be, that could be a private club. That could be a daily fee course. It could be a resort club, any of those. And you have owners that have, you know, a nine hole course, or you have owners that have, you know, like Billy Casper and they have, you know, several, several golf courses that they either manage or own. So you have all levels. They create networking events. They're involved in, you know, upcoming technology. There's a ton of resources. They have a website. Um, so we, you know, kind of connected with them before the golf business conference. Um, so I'd say late 2019 and decided that like, Hey, we want to kind of expand. We're taking on new customers right now. Where can we get in front of a lot of customers? And so golf business conference, of course. So fortunately we were able to kind of partner up with them and, and participate as a sponsor. And so that gives us access to being able to go to these networking events. We get access to the PGO show while we're there. My partner and I got to like network and meet a lot of people, meet other, you know, besides just golf course owners uh, and operators, we also got to work with um, other companies like Yamaha supporting the golf industry, obviously with golf carts, club car, all of these types of things. We actually went to an event at Top Golf, and I talked about, hey, we need to bring, you know, this type of revenue stream to the golf course and here's some ideas to do it. So it was, it was a really unique kind of fun event that was tagged alongside the PGA show. That's exciting. Why do they do it alongside, I guess all the people they need are at the show. So it makes sense for them to connect. Is that why? 
Um, so th- I think if I'm remembering correctly, um, 2020, I think was the first year that they did that. They typically are, are not combined, um, or, or alongside each other because the golf business conference was a couple days before, um, and then kind of segued into the PGA show. I think 2020 was the first year that they did that. And I think they're planning on doing that for the next five years. Previously, it actually used to be its own event by itself. Um, and I, I think the intention was to, increased participation because you had people already going to the PGA show. They just had to go a little early. Um, and that way you can get a little bit more involvement in that sort of thing. Got it. And like golf courses need good marketing. So hopefully they are paying attention to some of the recommendations that you're making. They definitely need marketing. Yeah. What? Yes, absolutely. Cause a lot of times, unfortunately, um, all businesses, it's not just the golf industry isn't the only one guilty of this, but they look at marketing as an expense instead of the profit center. It really can be. Um, I mean, cause that's, that's your brand and digital marketing. That's, that's where millennials and generations, that's where they're spending their time. If they're not familiar with a brand organization or company online, they're about 86% less likely to visit that organization. So if they're familiar with it, they see it on their Instagram feed. They see it on their LinkedIn they're connected with people online. They're posting pictures on Facebook about going to this really cool, you know, trunk show at this golf club where they had, you know, this whole setup of, you know, trendy clothes and things. And they're like, Hey, I want to go do that. Where is this at? And so, you know, or a wine tasting or, or something like that. So that interaction in a digital space is very, very important. You know, the same sentiment, um, exists regarding technology, like, a lot of companies, and especially golf courses, are not embracing technology. But then there's also the challenges around the, the usability of technology. What are your thoughts on the expansion of technology just as it relates to marketing for these golf courses? I will say there's always some new fancy trend or new app or new platform that people feel like they need to be on. And I'm going to go back to the basics, especially for a golf course if they're trying to navigate this on their own pick one or two platforms to be on and do it really well. Don't pick, you know, don't do Snapchat and Twitter and LinkedIn and Instagram and Facebook and do a half-ass job. You don't want to do that. You want to do, you know, Twitter and Instagram, or you want to do Facebook and LinkedIn. You want to do Snapchat and Twitter. Just pick one or two and do them really, really well. No, it makes sense. And that's true for everything. Like pick one lane and do it really, really well. Right. Right. And I'm guilty of that in, in my own business as well. And personally, sometimes, you know, you get flooded with all this information, but you don't know what to do with it. And so that's where we are. We're that strategic partner at Twitter Marketing that helps you navigate all that stuff. And we figure out really quickly by looking at analytics and data to figure out like, hey, you know, this ad spend over here is generating a lot more business for you than this ad spend over here. Let's cut this ad spend on Facebook and move it to Instagram or move it to LinkedIn. Um, and that, that's where we can kind of come in and make sure that you're making educated decisions with your business and with your digital marketing. Absolutely. So tell me more about like life in Texas. Are you playing a lot of golf down there? Like what's the industry like there for you? It's very unique. So in Texas, you can kind of play golf year round, um, but you have some periods of time where it's a little colder and a little more stormy than others. Um, so playing golf, I, I do get out um, at least once or twice a month. I wish it was more, um, unfortunately, just business. I, you know, I think the running joke is that if you're in the golf industry, you don't get a, a chance to play a lot of golf. And it's, I have found that to be true. I Honestly, when I kind of got into it with my own business, I didn't really think that would be the case because in the corporate world, it was a little bit of the opposite. But running my own business, you know, I'm, I'm busy doing that. Um, and so I'm not really able to go out there and play necessarily the way that I might want to, but I do try to make time to get out there at least once or twice, twice a month. And then I do practice, um, chipping and things in my front yard. So don't hold that against me. Yes. I I mean, does the insurance company cover that? Like, Hey, yeah, I hit my car with my own golf ball. Any thoughts? (laughs) Fortunately, there was uh, there was no damage. So I didn't have to get that far. (laughs) Good. Good. So wait, so now another thing, did you meet your husband on the golf course? Um, we, so believe it or not, we actually met, um, at 
top golf. So he he saw me um, that I could actually hit a golf ball. He was sort of paying attention. I noticed that he was paying attention, and then the rest is history. So yeah, we met down here in Texas. Um, he actually is is a very good golfer. He pay, played collegiate golf and baseball, which is you know kind of two sports that are difficult to play at the same time. So we have a very healthy competition going on, but. I have to say it took us a little while to learn to play together cohesively without getting frustrated because we're both so competitive. <laughs> Wait, tell us more about that. Tell us how do you, how do you, how do you, so this is like, you know, working through the relationships. How do you bridge the competitive gap? So for me, he likes to kind of talk things through, you know, when he's like maybe like frustrated or, you know, he sees that I'm frustrated. He's like, hey, let's talk about it. I'm a very like quiet, leave me alone. I need to process this internally and like make a plan and move forward. So I'm that type of person. So we, <laughs> I'm, he's probably going to kill me for telling this story, but there was, there was one time I think we were just newly engaged and we went out and, and we played some golf and I wasn't playing super great. And he was like making some comments over on the side. And I was like, you know what? You can go play by yourself. And I like ripped my golf bag off of the golf cart and just started walking and like playing my own ball. I'm like, just give me some space. But he learned that like, Hey, I just need to give her some space, process some things. And I jump back on the cart, you know, in like two holes or something. <laughs> Those are the moments I'm like, is this a make or break relationship situation? What's happening here on this golf course? I don't know who you are. I don't think like we have a very unique relationship that way. I don't think that's the case for most people, but I will say I have found when I play with couples that it's very hard for a couple sometimes to play together, especially when you have, um, you know, one golfer and a lot of times it ends up being the woman that's not a very good player. She gets frustrated with her spouse, you know, trying to teach her things or show her things because just the dynamics that they already have in their relationship. So um, I think it's always good to have, you know, somebody that's maybe new to the game, you know, get some exposure somewhere else first or, or working, you know, going with a friend or, or going, um, you know, and working with like the, the club pro for, you know, two lessons or something. So they just feel a little bit more comfortable going out there with, the, with their spouse. And so they're not going to argue. <laughs> I have found that to be kind of important. Yeah, that can be very distracting. Like if you're not happy, I mean, I would hope that you play through the frustration as you would play through a whole play through the argument, just play through it. But that doesn't always happen. I've, I've experienced that myself, mainly because I was a better golfer in my particular case, but that's a longer story. And that just goes into a whole misogyny conversation, but we can talk about that yeah. another and day. I, and I've been in that boat before too, um, where, you know, I'm the better player and then the person I'm playing with gets frustrated. I mean, I will say that that doesn't happen as much. Um, I think it's, it's usually a little bit easier um, you know, the female is, is better. And then people are just usually kind of like amazed and they want to know like how you do it. And then they're just sort of interested and intrigued, but you have people that do get sort of irritated or frustrated over that. But I, more often it's been positive. You have a beautiful young daughter who will be an <laughs> aspiring you. golf player. Can I, is she going to be playing? How old will you start her? And tell us about that. <laughs> So she is, uh, she's nine months. She's actually already been out to the golf course with us several times. We've uh, strollered her up to the driving range and she got to watch mom and dad hit some golf balls. Um, we've actually taken her in the golf cart with us. You know, I don't recommend this unless you feel very, very comfortable. You know, she's in the car seat. We're looking around making sure there's no golf balls kind of going everywhere. And, you know, we have her in a somewhat projected environment. But yeah, she's been out there with us already. We got her a golf club actually when I was still pregnant with her and we took pictures with it and stuff when she could finally get out there and sort of like crawl around with it and drag it around. So she, whether she likes it or not, she will be involved in golf one way or another. I don't, I'm not going to force her to play, but I want to definitely introduce her to it at a, at a young age. And and hopefully that will kind of pique her interest. And she'll, even if she doesn't play, you know, at a super competitive level, I think it's such a good, tool and resource thing to have in your back pocket for for future life so I'm, I'm hoping that I can at least get her there but of course I want her to to play competitively you know obviously <laughs>
Of course. And for the mothers and fathers that are listening, like what are some of the strategies you think that you're going to apply to try to get her into the game aside from that? Like what are tips that they could take or or tricks that they can use to get their kids involved in golf and how old should they start? So I'm going to sound like a broken record here, but gamification, making it fun, not necessarily making it a competition right away, I think is, is very important. So, and then rewarding them on the process, not necessarily like making the putt, but you know, the process of going through and aiming it up and, you know, learning to try to read the green or learning to try to figure out a chip award, the process, not necessarily the end result, I think is important. And then, um, I think between two and three is a good age to sort of introduce them. We're obviously introducing our daughter Ryan a lot younger, just because, you know, we spend a lot of time there. And so she's there anyways. Um, but I think two or three is really good. There is a company called Golfin. They actually have golf clubs and golf balls that are a little bit bigger designed for children. Um, so that way they can actually learn to play a little bit more within their realm. Because if you think about it, kids, their motor skills are, are not, you know, as developed as adults. And so the clubs are a little bit bigger and the golf balls are a little bit bigger. And so it can make it a little bit more fun for them because they can actually kind of play and, and get the hang of it a lot easier. So, and they're kind of a really unique company out of the UK. And I think companies like that and that innovation will really help young player development. Absolutely. And for the parents that don't actually play, how, what do you recommend they do if they want their children to play and they don't play? So there's a ton of resources out there. Um, you know, I think there's like, there's stuff on PGA of America, there's stuff, um, junior golf America, there's a lot of like local golf associations, um, that provide information on that. I, if parents don't golf, but they, they want to kind of foster the, you know, the excitement around golf and golf development in their children, I say that they, they learn a little bit about it themselves. That would be, you know, sort of my recommendation, something a lot of people don't actually understand or realize the most underlies or excuse me, the most underutilized scholarships in America are golf scholarships, especially women golf, golf, golf scholarships. So I heard a statistic somewhere, so don't quote me on it, but I did hear a statistic somewhere where I think 60% of, of lady golf scholarships don't get utilized. So there's a huge opportunity there, um, you know, on the collegiate side of things. And they don't necessarily have to be going out there and shooting, you know, six on a par to get a golf scholarship. If they can shoot somewhere, you know, in the eighties or even low nineties, if it's, you know, a, a little bit smaller of a school, they could get, you know, some of their school, if not all of their school paid for. So that part of it, I think is, is really unique and not just that, but golf really fosters like, good manners and skill life skills just in general that will be so useful for for children as they kind of grow where they're a little bit older you know whether they're in high school or in college or starting off in their career there's so many skills and things that they can learn that they're able to transition those skills into the real world so getting kids off of their devices and out yes. onto the course, <laughs> that is yes. going to be the challenge there's for actually, every parent. There's actually a customer of ours. They have a small nine-hole golf course, and um, they actually give points um, if if people, like, leave their devices. Um, they have, like, a little, like, kind of safety deposit box situation. If they leave their devices, they, they get to play golf, I, I think, at a cheaper rate. And then they also gain points. So they kind of created this loyalty program around that. And it's it started off kind of slow. I was actually hoping it would pick up a little bit more. But once we kind of got the marketing right behind it, and talked about like the the mental health benefits of not having your phone for for two hours and having the escape of you know the environment and kind of created the marketing and content around that. It really picked up. People being distracted by their devices is just like there's an understatement of that's probably what causes more slow play than the actual poor golf. Yes, yes, I agree. You have people out there Snapchatting, doing these things, but. Again, there's also a place for that too, where there's certain, you know, maybe a golf tournament or situations where you want people, you know, I had a golf course that had an event and we actually did a Snapchat filter for them and it increased, you know, a ton of engagement. And there was a couple of things where, you know, quote unquote, where it went like kind of some viral content and it really increased daily fee play for the next several months based on that. So there's, there's a time and a place. Wow. So that's you helping the course determine when the time and place is. Yes. Yes. 
because you don't, that's not something you can do all the time because if you're doing it all the time, it takes the uniqueness and funness out of it. But if you, you know, are really creative on when you're doing it and, and doing it, you know, around some type of an event or holiday or something like that, it kind of increases engagement and excitement around it. We've had an excellent conversation. And are there any gems or tips you want to leave the audience with? Anything about like, we didn't really get to talk about self-awareness, but is there anything that you want to leave the audience with? Because you've dropped so many like useful (laughs) tips, useful tricks, and just a better, you gave everyone a better understanding of just golf as an industry. So anything you want to share? The number one tip I could give is whatever your business is within the golf industry, own your story, own your marketing, because that is going to be the biggest perception that your customers or future customers have of your business. And if you are diligent and proactive with it, the sky's the limit. Okay. So that's like life recommendation. Own your story, period. <laughs> yes. Yes. So that can be true in business and true in life. Yes, you are correct. <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. So thank you for joining me on Tease Me. And I look forward to seeing you on the course and up here in New York so you could hear all this lovely background noise in person. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me on the show. And there you have it. Random construction and beeping noises in the back. An excellent interview with Jackie Arnick, one of the first ladies of the game who's killing it and transforming how we view golf. She's transforming the messaging, and that is so important. It's Friday. She's fierce. So it's a fierce female Friday for Women's History Month. Thanks, Jackie, for joining us, and thank you for listening in to Tease Me.